Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. And so uh, anyway, but this is part four of a series called Soul Detox, and we're going to get that out of you. And so we're glad that you're here this morning. We've been taking a look at this idea that you... The way that God made you, God is three parts. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And since you're made in His image and likeness, you are three parts. You are spirit, soul, and body. And what that means is this. It's a really kind of, it's an interconnected deal. But you are a spirit, meaning you have life and the essence of life in you, right? Like y'all are all alive. Like everybody nod at me. Yep, none of us are the walking dead today. So... So, so all of us have life in us, meaning we are a spirit being, but we have a soul. Everybody say soul. So your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now you are not your soul, you just have a soul, and I'll prove it to you because here's the deal. You have thoughts, right? But you're not your thoughts, you're just something you have. You have feelings, but those are, those are not, that's not who you are because you had feelings yesterday and then now today you might feel a little bit differently. And so, and then you even have like decisions that you make, but you are not your decisions, they're just things that you do because you are made as a free will person. Like you have the ability to choose. And so that's that soul area that we're talking about. And then, like I said, we are a spirit. We have a soul, but we live in a body. And a body is just an earth suit. It's just something that connects you to planet earth and helps you walk around and keeps gravity connected to the earth and all that good stuff. And, and you know this to be true too, because if you've ever been to a funeral, particularly like where you saw like a body in an open casket, you realize real quickly like, whoa, that's a shell. Somebody used to live in there. And they don't live there anymore. And one day, so, so something happened. And, and, you know, again, we believe these things to be true because we can see and we can sense them. We read the scripture. We know we have a sense that there is an eternity. There's a destiny. There's something beyond this life when we look and have these funeral moments and experiences. But here's, here's what we're going to talk about. Is what's going on in your soul becomes so heavy, it becomes toxic to you. It becomes something where you've collected all kinds of negative thoughts, emotions, experiences. You're weighed down by the issues of your soul. And on week one, like for instance, we looked at addiction. We looked, or week two actually, that was the week we looked at addiction. We looked at how like sometimes your physical body has cravings and that connects with what's going on in your mind and your emotions. And all of a sudden you have cravings for things that drive your life. Last week with, with, with Shane here, we looked at how envy and jealousy drive our soulish ambitions, our need to like have more, get more, hurt other people to get more sometimes and how that doesn't work. Today we look at something that might be a little bit heavy today and that's okay because everybody deals with it. So I, I don't want you to feel heavy. We're just going to work through it, but, it, but we'll just call it toxic depression. Like, cause here's what I know is that is that everybody in this room will experience some level of depression at some point in their life. Everybody will. So, so this is something you need to be prepared for. So if you say, no, I don't get depressed. That's okay. Hang on. It might happen. Something might come up. You never know. And I want you to be prepared for it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just the, 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 the second that I even said depression, all of a sudden something went off on you. You're like, oh, God, no. He's going to do it. And... And, and, and some of us, and, and again, everybody is going to experience depression at some point, and some people feel like they experience it all the time, or they go through these really, really heavy seasons of life where they just carry depression. And I want you to know this, is, 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 is that everybody in the room is in the same boat. Depression is an equal opportunity issue. It does not care if you are white or black or brown or yellow, whether you are rich or poor, male or female, depression will, will attack you and have no problem attacking you. So it's open to everybody, but here's what's fascinating. 
There is a story in the Bible that so showcases depression. It's like if you were to say, what, what, what would the Bible say? And what, what goes on? And what would God say about the issue of depression? There is a story in the Bible that is so huge. And when I look at this story, it is this kind of glaring picture of, of what not to do about depression and what God wants you to do. There is a guy that really shows you like if you did every bad thing you could to work yourself into depression, to get yourself more depressed, just to keep yourself depressed longer, this guy does it. And yet in the midst of it, God is right there with him, walking him through it and then pulling him out of it. Are you ready to see what this looks like today? Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to be so free in this life. I want you to have such a free soul that you can live out everything God wants you to do in this life. And to do it, we've got to be free from depression. Everybody say, okay. Let's get into it. If you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Kings, and we'll get there in just a second. But let me give you the context. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah is this dude. He's really what's considered kind of the first front runner of all the prophets of the Old Testament. And, and he's just called by God, anointed by God, gifted by God. He does like these incredible miracles and these crazy experiences happen in his life. But he literally is a prophet who speaks on behalf of God. And what he does is, is he's challenging the king and queen of his day because they're evil and corrupt. Their names are Ahab and Jezebel. Everybody say Jezebel. If you ever wondered why nobody names their daughter Jezebel, it's because of this story. Does that make sense? So Jezebel, like, like, you ever, like, that's come up, like, that, that dirty Jezebel? Like, where does that come from? It comes from this story. Jezebel was the queen, and she was this controlling, dominating, mean, and manipulating woman who ran the country and dominated her husband Ahab, even though he was the king. And so the way it works is, is that Ahab was kind of trying to be a good guy. Jezebel had a nasty streak in her. And, and basically, during this time in Israel's history, they had turned really away from God and turned towards idolatry. And Jezebel was right at the front leading the pack, saying, hey, we're going to worship all these, and I don't want to get into the details, but all these different Baal and Ashereth and Moloch and all these different false gods of the Canaanite world. And so Elijah stands up. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's time to repent. It's time back to, to turn back to the one true God. And there's this crazy story where, where Elijah basically has like a showdown on Mount Carmel. And um, Carmel. Um, they were at Carmel by the sea. And, and so they have this showdown. And he goes, hey, here's the deal. You get all your prophets and I'm going to do this. And we're going to make a sacrifice. And whoever's God answers by fire, that will be the one true God. And they do this big thing. And the, 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 the prophets of Baal start cutting themselves and singing and dancing. And nothing happens. And then Elijah prays and fire consumes this. And they're like, what? And all the people, it's like revival breaks out. All the people turn back to God. Well, this infuriates Jezebel. She is livid. And so she sends a messenger and says to Elijah, I, I promise I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And, and if, if the sun goes down and you're not dead, so take my life. That's how bad it is. I'm going to kill you. And, and, and so when Elijah hears this, he gets afraid and he runs for his life, which is bizarre to me. Because if I were Elijah and I was in that mode, I would be, I, I just, would, I was, so I'm shocked when I see his response. But what I want you to see is this, is that Elijah's tired, he's wore out, and then somebody's threatening his life. 
And it's fair to say that that could be a good circumstantial situation for you to be depressed. And so here's what I want you to know. Some of you are depressed because you have legitimate circumstances in life. Things that are in your life that weigh on you, that are hurting you, that, that mess you up inside, that give you sleepless nights, they, they literally just depress. Others of you, there's no circumstances to point to. It's just stuff that's going on in your mind. Stuff that just emotions that you're battling with. And no matter what, God's got a solution for you. But here's, here's what you're going to see over the next few moments. Is that God's remedy and God's solution for getting you out of depression is to help you learn how to manage your thoughts. You'd be surprised if I read up all the New Testament scriptures that talk about how well you think and manage your mind and manage your thoughts. This is so huge because what you're going to see Elijah do is do everything the wrong way. But depressed people, or people, people like this, people who overcome depression, they learn how to manage their thoughts well. Watch this. I'll prove it to you. So this is what, this is what goes on. The Bible says, 1 Kings 19 verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba at Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. And he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Now, again, this is confusing to me because I thought you just won a big old victory. I thought you was the man. Like you were the talk of the town. You just, everything was going good. But he gets depressed. He runs. He's afraid. He runs for his life. He sits down under a, I don't even know what a broom bush is. He sits down under a bush and he starts praying. Have you ever prayed that you might die? Because you're not going to, you're not going to take your own life. But you're like, God, you could just take me. I'd be totally okay with that right now. You ever been so tore up? Sometimes this happens when we get sick. If you get sick enough, you're like, you're hugging the toilet. You're like, God, just take me. And, Sometimes we get to that level and that's where Elijah goes. He goes to the point where he is borderline suicidal. He is wanting to die. He is depressed. He is tore up from the floor up and he is hurting on the inside. And what I want to get you to see is this, is that really what his recipe for depression was this, is he began to focus on his feelings and lose sight of the facts. Because the facts was he just won. The fact was, there was a revival. The fact was, people were turning back to God. This was national headline news that all this stuff went down. As a matter of fact, here, here's the other fact. Jezebel wasn't going to kill him anyway. I'll prove it to you. When you really want to kill somebody, do you send a messenger to warn them in advance? When you really want to kill somebody, you don't send a messenger. What do you send? An assassin. Did somebody say Thor? What do you... Why would you send Thor? He's a good guy. You, 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 you don't send Thor. You don't send a messenger. You send an, you send an assassin. That's a hitman. Hitman? Okay. But he is so consumed by his feelings and uh, the fear and the depression. And, all, and you're going to see it just keep unfolding. But there's no way that Jezebel was actually going to kill him. Because then you know what else that does? That makes him a martyr. That makes him like this rallying cry for all of Israel to rally behind. Hey, how dare the wicked queen kill the prophet? Let's go get her. They'd have probably gotten pitchforks and started riots. She wasn't going to kill him, but he couldn't see that. He had lost sight of that God had done an incredible miracle, that revival was happening, that he had just won, that God had won, all these things. He just lost sight of that. And here's, here's what we do in life too. Sometimes it doesn't matter. And this is why our logical right brain friend will come to us and try to talk us out of our funk and depression. 
And we just can't hear it because we can't see through the fog. And the way we feel so overwhelms basic logic and reason. And we've all been there before. We've been so worked up in our emotions that we cannot see clearly. I've seen this happen where, where really, this is called, in the psychological world, we call this emotional reasoning. And emotional reasoning basically says this. Because I feel it, it must be true. Yeah, doesn't that sound? And now when we say it now on a Sunday morning, we're all barely or mostly coherent. We, we think that's ridiculous. But we go through stretches. We're like, well, because I feel it. It must be true. I've had young men come to me and say, Todd, you know, I just don't feel married. Well, I was there. I opened a Bible. We did vows. You guys exchanged rings. I have no idea. You did stuff afterwards to, to consummate it. You, you are married. I can prove it. I, we signed legal documents. So regardless of how you feel, does that make sense? The facts are this. So the goal in life, because let me put it like this. Let me just, some people in life, success people, successful people in life own their feelings. Unsuccessful people in life, their feelings own them. And some of us will go through life just getting owned by our feelings. Well, I don't feel married. Some of us do this as Christians. Well, I just don't feel close to God. God is everywhere. Like literally, he's got this divine thing called omnipresence. He's everywhere at all times and in all places. And he's sometimes in specific spaces in specific ways. But he's, that's why David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Like, so you're feeling close to God and being close to God could be two completely different things. Other people say this, well, I don't feel like a Christian. But I hear, I hear, I heard this from women. I don't feel pretty today. I don't feel, I, you know, like we go through, like, I, let me just help you out real quick here. You want to get to a stage in your life where you become aware of your feelings. And then you basically are able to kind of reason away, like, well, is what I'm feeling okay? Is what I'm feeling the right thing? Is this, because some people in life, they just assume that because they feel that way, it must be true. But it, uh, a true follower of Christ knows this. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said it like this. Jesus didn't say that if you know your feelings, your feelings will set you free. Jesus said if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So, so Elijah goes down this recipe of focusing on his feelings and not on his facts. The second thing he does is found in 1 Kings 19 verse 4. He says this. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And so, so he starts thinking about his past and the past prophets and the other people. And like he gets into what we call the comparison trap. And the second part of the recipe is he just starts comparing himself to other people. We, we talked about this a little bit last week that we go on Facebook and we start comparing our normal, boring life to their highlight reel. Like they're on a mountain and there's a selfie with them on a mountain. You're like, I've never been to that mountain. Look, that's the only mountain they climbed all year. They just took a picture of it. And you're tripping. That, so, so we start comparing ourselves. We start saying this. We start saying, I'd be happy if I was like, and you fill in the blank. Because you start comparing yourself to what they are. Well, I'd be happy if I was like, blink, you fill in the blank. I, or we do it with what they have, not just what they are, but what they have. I'd be happy if I had blank. You ever do that? You ever get into mode, you're driving down the car? And you got a beater, you know, you got a thing that makes weird noises. You got to do things where it's like two or three tricks just to get the engine to turn over. And you got to, if I do this and I do this and, I, and then the window thing does this. And you, you, when, you, when you hand off your car to a friend, you're like, hey, don't, don't roll down that window. Or, you know, 
And then you start driving down the road and you see somebody driving your dream car. You're like, I'd, be, I'd be so happy if I had that. There was this, there was this one girl, and this is, this is the phrase that sticks in my mind whenever I start thinking that other things in life would make me happy. There's this little girl that goes to her dad and, and she's a miserable little mopey kid and just kind of an emo depressed kid. And she's like, daddy, daddy, I'd be happy. And he tells, she tells her dad, I'd be happy if you bought me a pony. I'd just be happy in life if you bought me a pony. And he says to her, and these are the words that echo in my brain whenever I start thinking about things that might make me happy. He goes, sweetie, if you can't be happy without a pony, you can't be happy with a pony. So you need to think about that in life. Like, because here's what I know. If you got that car, if you made that much money finally, if you lived in that house finally, you know what you'd eventually find? You'd find a car that was cooler than that car. And you'd find a wife or a woman that was prettier than your wife. And you'd find a house that was bigger than that house. And you'd find a, a, a man that was more handsome than that man. You'd find something. Because if you can't be happy without a pony. I'm telling you, you can't be happy with a pony. Because happiness does not come from stuff and attaining this. And if I could be like them and if I could have their things, it doesn't work like that. The other way this, this goes is this. Is we start shooting ourselves. You ever done this? Well, I should be able to. We start beating ourselves. I should be able to act like this. I should be able to accomplish this. I should be able to stop doing this. And we start shooting ourselves. And all it does is go back to what? How well we manage our thoughts. Because when we start thinking, listen, have you ever gotten to this point where you're just, your mind starts to wander and it starts to go down that road of envy. It starts to go down that road of jealousy. It starts to go down that road of comparison. The question is this, how long do you do that before you finally stop? Like how many minutes go by? How many days go by? How long do you keep going? Because successful people in life, what they, they have the same thoughts that you do. But what happens is, is when those thoughts creep in, they are aware of them. They're like, wait a minute, I need to stop that and here's why. Like Paul says it like this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he goes, we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. He was saying this, like you shouldn't be comparing yourself with other people. You shouldn't even be comparing yourself with what you think you shoulda, oughta, coulda, woulda do. It, there's no win in comparison. You're gonna drive yourself crazy. How long do you go down that road before you finally catch those thoughts and be like, wait a minute, I need to, I need to stop and reshift my mind into a new direction. So he starts comparing himself. Here's another one. The third thing he does is this. It's in 1 Kings 19.10. So he replied, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites have still rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the death with the sword. This is, this is ultimately what he's doing. He's saying, I, I did this and I did that and it still didn't work out. What he does is he takes false blame. This is like, does anybody like, like movie heroes, like superheroes, Marvel movies? Mar this is like the thing. Every time I watch, whether it's like a flash or an arrow or a superhero thing or something like that, they all get emo, they all get moody, like, no, it's my fault. And they get depressed because they think the city has fallen because of me. And they start beating themselves. These people die because of me. And you just get dramatic and make it all about you. Because you think it's all about you. And you take on this false blame. There was one episode I watched where two superheroes were arguing about who would take more blame. 
Forgetting the fact that there was an evil villain with superhuman powers destroying things. Maybe it was their fault, guys. Just a thought. But this is what we do, not in the comics and not in, in the TV shows, but we do this. We start assuming blame for everything around us. I was at a party not too long ago. And at this party, uh, we were all talking and somebody said, hey, where is so-and-so? Why are they not here right now? And the woman next to me said, oh, I bet they're not here because I'm here. And I'm like, you must think a lot of yourself. Like, you must really think you're a big deal and you're so important that literally people are scheduling their life around your presence. But she was taking on the blame of, oh, they didn't come to the party because I'm here. And we do this in life. We start thinking it's my fault. Some of us do this with our spouse. Our spouse will go through a season of life where they're just not happy. And you take it all on you and it's all your fault. Let me help you real quick here. Sometimes they ain't happy because they ain't happy. And they got nothing to do with you. And you couldn't fix it even if you wanted to. You know what you need to do? Just step back and just let them work that out and let them process that. But listen to me. Your spouse's happiness is not always directly related to you. Let, Let me help you out real quick here. Your personal happiness in life is your responsibility and no one else's. So if that's true for you, then doggone it, it's true for them. And there's no point in you just constantly putting the blame on yourself for everything that happens in this life. Let's go to the next one. Verse 10 says this. Finally, Elijah says, I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. He's dramatic, isn't he? I'm under a boom bush. Take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. I mean, he just keeps going. I'm the only one left. This is what he does. This is all thought management. He begins to exaggerate everything in his life. He exaggerates whatever's bad, and he makes it so much bigger than what it really is. If you have an emo friend, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't have an emo friend, it's you. You're the one. Mama used to tell me, boy, you could turn an ant hole into a mountain. Did anybody ever hear that one before? You can turn a molehill into a mountain. You take something, and kids do this all the time. Oh my gosh, this is the worst. This is terrible. I'll never get over this. And then we just get older and keep some of the same things. No one likes me. Everyone is against me. Look, I like you, okay? So now you can't say no one likes you. Like, my pastor likes me. I might endure you a little bit, but I like you. I like you. So now one person in this world likes you. If it's just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus, we like you. We love you. We endure you a little, but we love you. So no, you're not alone in this. No, nothing ever works out for me. You'll have like one bad break and you forget all the things that God's ever blessed you with. You have one thing go against you like, this is the worst. My life will never recover. This always happens to me. I can never catch a break. You know what the problem with using always and never is? Is they're self-defeating arguments. Because nothing always goes that way and stuff never. This is not the way that it works. But what we do is is we take the things in our life that that, that get hurt up, that get bad, that get whacked out of shape. We so lose sight of everything good or positive in our life. And then we just exaggerate and so focus on that. And again, all it does is go back to how well do we manage our thoughts? Because the reality was this. By verse 18, God corrects him. He goes, no, you're not the only one left. 
As a matter of fact, I've got 7,000 prophets. This is what God tells them later. By the way, you didn't know this. I got 7,000 of you guys hanging out, waiting to go. But he thought in his little world, because don't we isolate? This is what I find very true of depressed people. They isolate well. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. Nobody gets me. And then what you do is, is you trap yourself into a room, you pull the blinds closed, and then you go into a Netflix binge. And you think you're all alone. Well, you all are all alone in your room. That's true, but you're not all alone in life. Don't exaggerate the negative. And this is the remedy. This is the recipe, I should say, that he just keeps going down. And all of them are. We focus on the feelings. We exaggerate things. We compare ourselves. It's all thought management. And then God shows up. This is amazing because God doesn't want to leave you the way that he found you. God wants to pull you out of your mess. He wants to detox your soul. God wants to bless you. How many of you believe that? Like God wants you free. God wants you victorious. God wants to pull you out. And God shows up. And then this is what happens. And God kind of presents this remedy, if you will. First Kings 19, 5 says this, all at once an angel showed up and touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then, well, that didn't work, so he just laid down again. <laughs> I'm going back. I'm going back to Netflix. I'm going to watch The Walking Dead, season, season four today. Um, then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him again and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I'm going to share something with you that, that I don't want you to dismiss or overlook or brush off. I need you to dial in with this because it's not going to seem very spiritual, but I promise it is. The first recipe that God gives him is to take care of your physical needs. Let me, let me maybe even put it this way. Take care of your physical body. I'm telling you that God shows up and God doesn't begin to encourage him and get up, little buckaroo, you can do it and I'm with you. And he, he doesn't do any of that stuff. He's like, look, number one, um, you need to take a nap. Number two, you need to eat some good food. You need to drink some water. And you, need, you need to take care of your physical needs. And I'm telling you this is true. And, and, and all of studies are showing you that this is true in life. Like the, what God does for him is the very thing your psychiatrist that gets paid way too much money to listen to you vent your feelings. This is what they would tell you to do. And God's telling you to do it for free. Because them Gideons leave Bibles everywhere. You just pick this thing up. He says, take care of your physical needs. Here's, here's what we know to be true. We know that like obesity and depression are linked now. We know that people with obesity have a higher rate of depression than other people. We know people that don't sleep enough have higher links to depression. We know that there's a direct correlation between your diet, your exercise, and your rest and depression. It's just there. It's just in the fact. They did this. Harvard did a study. These aren't Christian studies. These are just studies. And they took depressed people. I think it was 150 of them. And they took 50 of them and they put them on a, like a specific kind of exercise regimen. They took another 50 and they just put them on antidepressants. And then the third group of people, they put them on both. Do you know what the results were? It was all the same. Literally 70% of people recovered out of all three groups. What, what does that tell you? Like people that were just exercising, because here's what you need to know. Like when you exercise, you're, you're releasing endorphins in your body. You're releasing these good chemicals into your body and it's giving you some life and some energy. You combine that with a great diet and enough sleep every night, I'm telling you, you're going to start to feel better. It's not the end all. It's not the absolute. It's not the only thing. It's just what God used as the starting point was take care of your physical needs. Number two is this, and this is what he says next. First Kings verse eight. 
So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here? I love how God just, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you tripping? Why are you not back where you ought to be? What, what are you doing here? And Elijah's response is honest. I like this. He said, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. I want you to know that he does something that is a good step, and it's this, is, is he gives his frustrations to God. And there's a difference. So like psychologists have figured out like it's good for you to like get stuff off your chest and to vent and to let stuff go. But here's the problem. That's not the only thing you want to do. And certainly you don't want to do that to everybody and spew out all of your feelings on everybody. But there is something powerful to having a special moment with God, to having a personal relationship with God, to having a quiet time with God to where you go and you say, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm going through. Because when we, when we just vent our emotions to anybody and everybody, all we do is go back to focusing on our feelings. But when we give our frustrations to God in that personal relationship with him, I'm telling you something powerful happens, and we're about to see it unfold in just a second. But you absolutely need a personal time with God. I want you to think about this, is that, is that ultimately he's venting towards God. And listen to what 1 Peter 5, 7 says this. He says, cast your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. So like the idea of casting your cares is literally the Greek word to roll over. It's as if you are taking all the load that is on your life and you're just saying, I don't need to carry this anymore. As a matter of fact, do you know that the Bible refers to you as a sheep? Like that's the metaphor that it uses, that God is a shepherd and that you are a sheep. Have you ever seen a sheep as a pack animal? No. You don't use sheep as pack animals. They're not meant to be load-bearing pack animals. And so God, God's like, you're not meant to carry loads. That's not what you are designed to do. And so when you start carrying loads, you need to go and be with God and cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And that only happens in that personal time between you and God. The next thing, watch this. This is huge. Because you spent time with God and you didn't just vent your feelings on your family and, and vent your junk all over everybody else, you actually gave them to God. God has the opportunity to speak back into your life and listen to what happens. The Bible says that the Lord, the Lord spoke to him and said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. This is why God sent him out into the middle of nowhere, by the way. Imagine this happened to the city. This is destruction. God blew up the city just to talk to Elijah. So he sends him out to the middle of nowhere so he can blow stuff up, apparently. So after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after an earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. Another translation is a still, small voice. See, what, what he did was is he didn't just vent his, 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 all of his junk. He didn't stew on all of his junk. What he did was is he gave it to God. In response, God gave him what he needed. He got a fresh awareness of God. Because listen, there is something very, very unique, and if I could force it upon you, I would. But having a genuine experience with God, an unforgettable 
kind of unexplainable sometimes even experience with God is one of the most powerful things you can ever have in your life. And they all come differently. Everybody's story is a little bit different. But when you can truly have an experience with God, it just changes you. It changes you for the rest of your life. And so this is what his experience was. He goes out to the mountain. He sees wind and it's blowing through everything. And God's like, I'm not, I'm not in the wind. I just want to show you that I'm powerful. And then there's an earthquake. Things are rumbling. And how many know like earthquakes are eerie? I'm not down with earthquakes. I hope I never feel one again. But God's not in the earthquake. And then there's a fire. And so earth, wind, and fire really show up. (laughs) And God said, I'm not in any of those things. I just want you to know I'm powerful. But how does he speak to him? In a whisper. Because ultimately what I think God was trying to say was this. Is that he was powerful enough for the big things. But he was personal enough for the small things. Because you have to be close to hear a whisper. Like if you're on the opposite side of the room and I don't got this microphone on, you're not hearing me if I whisper. The only way you can hear a whisper is if there is close proximity. And not because you've been venting your junk all over everybody else and all over your family and been, no, 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 with God in a personal place, in a private place maybe even. You were connecting with God and God showed up in such a way that he let you know that he was strong enough for the biggest things in life that you would ever face, but he was also so close that he could even handle the small things in life. The things that maybe shouldn't be a big deal, I want you to know God cares about even the smallest things in your life. And so he gets this incredible kind of mind-blowing, because here's what I know to be true. You cannot be in a place where you are in awe of God and be in a place of depression at the same time. Those are mutually exclusive places. I've never been in a point in my life where I was close to God and in awe of God and overwhelmed by God and been depressed at the same time. Those are two very different geographical places. You can't be in the same place. And so look at what he's doing. He's taking care of his physical body. He's having some personal time with God and giving God his junk and giving God his frustrations instead of just stewing on him and sitting on him. And he's, he's owning his emotions instead of letting his emotions own him. And then God shows up and he gets this big picture of God. And the last thing, this is so huge. This is, I, I think this is all four of them are connected. And I think you have to do all four to get the most breakthrough. The last thing he does is this. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, I want you to anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Now, that's a bunch of weird people's names to say this. Let me just summarize. You've got work to do. Let's refocus. You've got a mission you have, a, you have meaning in life. You have value to add to the world around you. Let's get back to it. You're going to go over here. See that guy? He needs to be the king there. That guy, that guy needs to be the king there. That dude over there, that dude's going to be your successor. I want you to train him because he's going to be the prophet for when you die. It's time to get back to work. And the fourth recipe is this. He's he got a new direction for his life. I don't know if maybe he felt like after the, the, the big victory on Mount Carmel that, that like he didn't know what to do with himself. He was stewing in his depression and his fear and all of his emotions. And God shows up and he says, you know what, we're going to get you first. We're going to get you rested. And you need some vegetables. You need to eat better. You need some exercise. Remember that 40-day journey? That's hiking. That's what that is. So you're going to get some exercise. You can get some food. You can get some water. You can get some drink. You're going to put your body on. You know what you're going to do? You're going to give me your frustrations. not going to stew on them. You're going to give them to me. Can I just help you with something? God is not afraid of your emo moments. Like, you don't ever have to be like, well, I can't share this with God. 
He already knows. He's just inviting you in to share them so that there's a dynamic relationship. And out of that relationship comes this awe and this moment of knowing God at a deeper level and at a greater level. It's knowing both the power of God and the closeness of God and bringing that all together. And then you realize in all that, that God wants to use me. And I don't know what for, but God, here's what I do know. God wants to use you to add value and dignity to the world around you. Like you have a gift, you have a meaning, you have a purpose. And sometimes, again, it's so easy when you're in that depressed state just to pull the blinds closed, to go back to bed. Remember the angel had to like wake him up a couple times? It might not happen over, but I'm telling you what, you have meaning and purpose in this life. And here's what I know to be true, is that when your life is adding value to people around you, that's not a depressed state right there. Like, 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 here's the deal. When, when you go down to Kids Against Hunger and you start feeding and putting these bags together and you realize that children will have food in their stomach because of what you did, it's hard to be depressed. When you know that you have added life and meaning and love to somebody else around you, it's a powerful thing. That's why you walk, have you ever thought about that? Why you walk away from doing something for somebody else that can never pay you anything in return. When you walk away from that, you ever feel that sense of satisfaction? It's a sense of satisfaction that is so unlike any other thing. You can go buy a new car, it's different. It's a different sense of satisfaction. That's the place that God wants you to be because that's a geographically different place than being in a place of depression. And so I want to tell you, I want you to get up. I want you to put your health back together. I want you to get up. And I want you to start venting to your heavenly father because he can handle it. I promise you, he wants to hear from you. And when you connect and get closer to him, God's going to start to show you how great and how loving he really is. And then he's going to be putting you back right into the plan that he has for your life. And that plan, I'm telling you, that's where you find life. That's where you find joy. That's where you find happiness. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that we would take a glimpse from this story written thousands of years ago about a man that got depressed. And God, we would begin to challenge ourselves that when our mind starts to go in that weird direction, that we stop our mind, that we stop those emotions, that God, we, uh, we can own our thoughts instead of having our thoughts own us, that we can own our emotions instead of our emotions owning us, and we can stop in that moment and turn to you. That in that moment, we can put our lives back together because of your strength because of your plan for our life, because of your love, because of your grace. And God, we won't do it on our own, God. It might just be that you'll do it through us. And so God, we come to you. As a matter of fact, right now, if there's anybody in here who said, Todd, right now, everybody's head bowed and eye closed, but right now, I'm in that funky place. I'm in that depressed place. If that's you today, can I pray for you this morning? Just slip your hand up and say, Todd, that's me. I'm feeling heavy. I'm feeling burdened. I'm feeling weighed down. I have thoughts that race away from me and get away from me. Praise the Lord. Father, I pray for these wonderful people. And God, I pray that you would strengthen them today. God, I pray that even now that they would feel your presence, they would feel your love. God, that they would know that your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient to carry them through. That God, that in you there is life and joy and peace if they'll seek you. God, I pray that you would do the miraculous and help heal the wounds of their soul. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we have a little big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. 
For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.